0: Hey, welcome to The Bartender's Perspective. I'm so happy to have you here. Work is done for the day. Pull up a chair, have a seat. I'll pour you a drink. Let's get started. So in tonight's podcast, you know, we're diving deep, you know, into a controversy, you know, surrounding the Ten Commandments. Are these ancient moral guidelines no more than just rules for us to follow? Or were these moral principles and guidelines given to us in preparation later on for a test? Let's take a look. So to understand the controversy, you know, we need to look back at a historical context. The Ten Commandments are a foundational set of moral and religious principles in Judaism and Christianity believed to have been given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Well, many view them you know, as divine guidance. You know, let's look at an alternative perspective, that these commandments were designed as a test, challenging the faith and obedience of the people. And I want to acknowledge, before we move on, there are many other religions out there in the world you know, that have their own guidelines and things for um, beliefs and moral principles, you know, and I acknowledge that. But tonight, I'm just speaking from the perspective of just this one just so that we're clear for those of you who believe in different things. But anyways, early on in that time, uh, the Israelites ran wild and free. I mean, I would too if I'd been enslaved for 400 years. You know, you probably would want to stop and have a drink, you know, socialize with that neighbor, you know, that didn't previously, you know, have time to visit as you were working on building kingdoms and anything else, you know, the Egyptians might have needed I could tell you I would also want to kick back too if I had crossed the sea that had been parted and I was stressing as to whether that wall of water was going to collapse you know on my way through maybe you see that giant shark from the movie the meg swimming on the edge of the wall of that water just ready to crash down on top of you Woo. I mean never mind the fact you know that there are mad egyptians chasing after you you know that want to kill you <laughs> god from my perspective in that time you know, I do see the Ten Commandments as a set of rules and guidelines in Judaism and Christianity but in that sense it was clearly demonstrated you know the guidance was needed. And if you look at what happened while the stone tablets were being made, you know most of you know the story of the golden calf, but straight up you know these people got tired of waiting they got bored and wanted something to worship. They made this golden calf, started worshiping it, and then they went crazy and started partying hard, going wild in the camp, recklessly worshiping the false idols, you know, busting out the kegs, burning, whatever. But what follows over these thousands of years, you know, is a developing message that can be seen in the Bible and in our world today. We have been given the information we needed for the exam, and then the test began. So just for a moment, uh, you know, I'm not going to go all lecture, lecture on you, know, but you know, I do need to mention this you know, for context. Uh, there was a concept um, in psychology, I studied it in many of the sciences, called the testing hypothesis. You know, and it does raise intriguing questions. You know, were the commandments intentionally presented in a way that would require people to choose between following God's laws and succumbing to human desires? Some argue that facing these moral dilemmas was a way to gauge loyalty, devotion, and the ability to make righteous choices, even when tempted. So take this real world example of a testing hypothesis related to this concept and the way I'm presenting it is in a non-quantitative way, because I wanna keep this simple and I don't wanna draw this out as this, again, is in the lecture hall. But the hypothesis goes: observing the Ten Commandments in a workplace will lead to a more ethical and harmonious work environment. And the scenario you know, that you work in a small office with colleagues from diverse backgrounds—you know—you want to test that hypothesis. You know, following the principles of the Ten Commandments can improve the workplace. So you decide to create a workplace experiment, and you wear know, for a month. You and your colleagues make a conscious effort to follow the ethical principles outlined in the Ten Commandments. You know, this means refraining from lying, stealing, showing respect to one another. You know, data collection throughout the month, then you co- uh, collect qualitative data, anonymous surveys, you know, et cetera. Asking questions like, have you noticed any positive changes in the workplace? Do you feel more trust, respect among colleagues? And after that month-long experiment, you, know, you analyze the responses and results We find that colleagues report feeling a greater sense, you know, of trust, reduce conflicts, and improve communication, you know, during this period, hypothetically speaking. So a conclusion, you know, based on this qualitative data and the feedback, you can conclude that following the principle of the Ten Commandments had a positive impact on the workplace environment, even though the results aren't expressed in quantitative numbers. You know, this is a real-world non-quantitative example Of a testing hypothesis, you know, as it relates, you know, to the Ten Commandments in a practical setting. So, I just just wanted to point that out there uh, for those of you who do like a little bit of science. But let's move on. So, the symbolic nature of the commandments, you know, also fuels, you know, that testing theory. Just to give you uh, an example of two of the commandments: uh, "You shall have no other gods before me." To you shall not covet. You know, each commandment presents a unique challenge to human nature. But is this a deliberate design to see who would remain steadfast and who would falter? I can tell you right now the answer is yes, and I will tell you why. You know, we see this worshiping a false idol every day. You find it in an addiction where rather than turn to a higher power for support. You find comfort in the bottle, that syringe, and even that prostitute you find walking the street. That false idol can also be seen in people who have to have power and control, deny any help or admonition that it might be wrong and get so lost in their pride and for some their pain that they lose sight of humility and receiving the light of peace and letting go and surrendering. Yeah, but that doesn't make those people bad, you know, or wrong. It's part of the human experience to make mistakes, you know, and to fall down. You know, we do so when we take our first steps or ride our first bicycle. We fall down and we get back up and we keep going. You know, there are many who endure. And there are many who fall, you know, who falter. But you know, for the ones that endure. You know, for a lot of them, you know, it did come only after they faltered. And so it's when the sense, our society today, you know, the commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, is a guiding principle to remind us today the consequences of our own doing and seeking out a false idol rather than your higher power. Do any of you have any false idols in your life currently that you are struggling with or trying to get past? as a stronghold from that idol been established in your mind something to think about you yeah. and then we have you shall not covet you know it essentially means you, know, you should not desire or envy what belongs to someone else so many examples i mean material possessions if you admire your neighbor's car and wish it were yours despite already having a car that serves your needs You miss out on the experience of having an appreciation for the car that you do have. It might have 120,000 miles and not be as fancy as your neighbor's car. You know, the guy might be driving a Tesla and it's all nice and flashy. But did you think for a second that neighbor might be making a $600 a month car payment and be struggling to make those payments while you have no car payment or that your car you currently own? Just a favorite thought. You know, a career success is some people coveting other colleagues' jobs or positions instead of working towards their own career goals. You know, they miss out on um, discovering more about themselves than the process. So let's say, you know, we have Bob. Bob has a bigger office across the way and his own parking spot, while John has a cubicle across from him and still has to pay for parking at the farthest end of the lot each day. John doesn't make as much money as Bob, but here's the distinction to think about. You know, John started in the mailroom of that office and eventually got promoted to the job he had based on his merits and hard work. Bob, who was looking, you know, to move up and he saw a coworker that, you know, he was envious of the position he had. And rather than, you know, try to work towards his own career goals, well, he did, but in a sense, he coveted the other co-worker's job. You know, he manipulated his way into that position by causing the person, you know, who was previously there to be terminated. He cheated and lined his way into that position in the process of hurting other people to get there. The test here was, again, Bob faltered and did what he had to do to covet that position. Well, John, rather than try to covet, endured the trick and worked his way up to that position. I know these are just a few examples, you know, that there are many, many more, But you know, for this podcast. This is just one. Man relationships. It's a tricky, tricky road. You know, feeling envious of a friend's romantic relationship and desiring their partner. You know, rather than nurturing your own relationships. I've seen this time and time again at the bar. Men or women who have been happily married for many years. But then somewhere along the way, they sought solace in the arms of another. And for a lot of them, it all began from them spending time with single friends who talked about that one night stand they had or introduced that new fresh relationship. You know, and then that married person might not be getting something at home in whatever form it might be, feeling something is lacking, or they might begin to feel trapped in that marriage. And seeing that friend's life and they're so envious, you know, rather than confront you know what the problems might be at home, they go the easy route, you know, if you want to call it that, and seek out a relationship, I mean quote fingers, from a one night stand it might be a prostitute or it might be your neighbor's wife. In any event, coveting can be a very dangerous thing in relationships. Financial status. You know, a lot of people wishing, you know, they had the wealth or financial stability of someone else. Even if you have enough to meet your own needs. I mean, so, my, uh, Best friend, he used to deliver furniture for a furniture store company. And he told me about this scheme that there are those out there that you know have enough to meet their own needs, but they want to give off the persona that they have more so that they can fit in into this well-to-do society. They'll go out and buy a really big, expensive house But then they never furnish it. And what happens is when the weekend comes and they want to have a party, they'll order a bunch of furniture, pay for catering, have it all delivered, have it all set up, and then they have their well-to-do friends over who do actually have more than them. And when the party and everything's over, they turn around and return all that furniture and everything just to turn around and do it again a couple months later. And all the while, these people wanting to have the wealth and the prestige of those other people. So in the process, I mean, it's not good to covet somebody else's wealth or financial stability. If you want, try and be happy with with what you have, and if you're not, then go out and do something about it. Physical appearance. Envying someone else's physical attributes or beauty instead of being content with your own, you know it doesn't help it doesn't help that the media puts a large amount of pressure on females, you know for example, to meet a certain social and cultural standard of beauty which can inevitably lead to poor body image and eating disorders. The more an individual is exposed to this unrealistic standard, you know the more they find it is reflective of how they should look. You know looking youthful, and thin has become an essential part of what it means to be beautiful by today's standards. You know, these standards are often unachievable, you know, especially uh, for women as women age and mature. You know, this can lead to women feeling negative about their bodies and potentially experience more severe issues you know, such as you know, anxiety, depression, obsession with losing weight, and yeah, the greater likelihood of again developing an eating disorder and lastly, Coveting someone else's talents, you know, or abilities, rather than developing your own skills. You know, it's gonna not be a very healthy thing. I had a gentleman and his best friend, you know, come to the bar years ago that wanted to become a doctor after seeing his best friend make it through medical school. And he thought it sounded really cool when he, you know, heard the first surgery story his best friend had performed. And he got it in his head for a time that he was going to go to medical school like his best friend. He applied in everything. But what little I knew of him, you know, he got anxious really easy in stressful situations. And thankfully, you know, he found out before he went any further, you know, that he was better suited, you know, to something with a lot less stress. I mean, come on, y'all. If I had someone else's life in my hands, like, literally, I would too. (laughs) So... But he later found, you know, he was, he was good at numbers. You know, and the very last time I talked to him, uh, not too long ago, you know, he was enjoying a very successful career in accounting. So, yeah. Um, the commandment, you shall not covet. You know, it serves as a moral guideline to promote contentment you know, and discourage jealousy and unhealthy desires you know, for what that others have. Do you have anything in your life today that you are coveting currently or trying not to? You know, think about it. So with any historical debate, you know, there's evidence. Evidence is key. Now, there's no definitive proof that the Ten Commandments were meant as a test. Certain stories and events you know, in religious texts you know, can be interpreted in this light. You know, the story of Abraham you know, being tested to sacrifice his son Isaac, you know, is often cited as a precursor to the idea of divine trials. For those of you who are familiar with uh, Scripture from, you know, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, this is an example where the Pharisees, you know, leaders of the time, tested Jesus using the Ten Commandments. Uh, if you want to reference the scripture, you can, Matthew 19, 16 through 22, you know, the young man, uh, a rich man who approached Jesus, you know, asked him what he must do to inherit eternal life. You know, Jesus you know, responded by, you know, telling him some of the commandments, you shall not murder, not commit adultery, you should not steal, not bear false witness, blah, blah, blah. The rich young man, you know, claimed to have kept all these commandments from his youth, you know, and then Jesus challenged him by saying, "You know, if you want to be perfect, go, you know, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me." I mean, needless to say, the young man walked away. So let me ask you this, y'all: If God asked you to give up everything you have ever worked for and just give it all away to follow Him, could you do it? Yeah, take that one in. So this interaction, you know, it demonstrated that the Ten Commandments were used as a test to reveal the young man's attachment to his wealth and his inability to fully follow Jesus' teachings. This highlights the deeper spiritual principles behind the commandments and the importance of love, selflessness, and devotion to God, in addition to following the rules. The controversy has deep philosophical, you know, theological implications. If The commandments were a test. You know, what does this mean for our understanding of faith, obedience, you know, and the relationship between humans and the divine? What What do you all think about this perspective? I mean, does it diminish the moral significance of the commandments, or does it enhance it? You know, if we were to consider the commandments as a test, you know, we could draw parallels between this concept and the understanding of faith and obedience and the relationship between humans and the divine. Imagine that Ten Commandments are viewed as a divine test of faith and obedience. In this scenario, adhering to commandments, it becomes a way for individuals to demonstrate their commitment to their faith and their willingness to obey the divine will. Just as students take tests to prove their knowledge and understanding of a subject, Believers may view following the commandments as a way to demonstrate their understanding of and alignment with their religious teachings. So, are, are, are any of you, are any of you, being tested today in your faith or what you believe? You know, think about that. You know, this perspective on the commandments emphasizes the idea that faith and obedience are not passive concepts but active choices. By choosing to follow the commandments individuals are actively participating in their faith and demonstrating their obedience to the divine. Now, this relationship between humans and the divine becomes a dynamic, ongoing process of testing and reaffirming one's commitment to their faith. If you treat the commandments, y'all, as a test, it can deepen your understanding of faith and obedience by highlighting the active role of individuals you know, play in their relationship with the divine, you will know, continually strive to demonstrate, you know, your commitment through actions and adherence to moral guidelines. So, in this case, this perspective does indeed enhance the moral significance of the commandments. What conclusions can you draw from this perspective in your own life today? You know, so much to think about. Trust me, I gave this a lot of thought, too. So lastly, beyond the historical theological aspects, you know, let's take a take a moment to discuss the modern relevance of this controversy. You know, how might viewing the commandments as a test impact our interpretation of moral guidelines today? You know, what do you think, y'all? Can it offer a new perspective on the challenges we face in an increasingly complex world? I have a great example for you. Uh, one modern controversy, you know, surrounding the 10 commandments sinners, uh, you know, on their display in public spaces, such as government buildings. Some argue that displaying them can be seen as a test of how we interpret moral guidelines in a diverse and secular society. So let's take a moment. You know, it, it, this is not a real place. It's just a just an example. Uh, in a small town named Jonesville, you know, there was a heated debate over whether to display the Ten Commandments in the town square. You know, the town council proposed placing a large stone monument engraved with the commandments near the courthouse. Supporters argued that it would serve as a reminder of moral values and principles. However, not everyone in Jonesville agreed. You know, a group of citizens uh, led by Andrea believed that displaying the commandments in a public space violated the principles of the separation of church and state. They argued that it might make people of different faiths or non-religious backgrounds feel uncomfortable or excluded. As the controversy escalated, Jonesville became divided. Public meetings were held and passionate arguments were made on both sides. Some argued that the commandments represented universal moral values, while others felt it was a religious imposition on a diverse community. You know, the case for society to grapple with the question of how to balance individual freedom of belief with the desire to promote moral values. This modern day, you know, fictitious story illustrates how the controversy surrounding the Ten Commandments you know, can be seen as a, as a test of how we interpret moral guidelines in a pluralistic society where diverse beliefs and values must coexist. It raises important questions about the role of religion in the public sphere, and how we navigate moral and ethical issues in a modern context. So, as I wrap up this episode, you know, it's clear that the controversy surrounding the Ten Commandments as a test, you know, it's far from settled, y'all. You know? You know, as we've delved into historical, religious, and philosophical perspectives, it becomes clear that this ancient code of context, oh, conduct holds different meanings for different people. For some, the idea of a divine test challenges their faith and raises questions about the nature of God's guidance. Others find in this interpretation a profound opportunity for personal growth and spiritual development. Whether you view the Ten Commandments as a moral compass, a divine test, or something else entirely, what remains constant is their enduring impact on our world shaping the way societies and individuals navigate the complex terrain of ethics, values, and faith. Now, as you continue to explore these timeless principles, you know, seek not only answers, but also a deeper understanding of the human quest for meaning, purpose, and a shared sense of morality. The, de- the debates may persist, but it is through respectful dialogue and reflection that that you can truly appreciate the significance of the Ten Commandments, you know, in your lives. So in closing, if you like my podcast, please feel free to tell at least three people about my podcast if you think they'll get something out of it. You know, this will help me continue to get my message out there to more people. You know, if you want to help me support the show, you can visit my website and leave me a tip on the tip jar. But unless you want another drink, as always, thank you for stopping in. Here's your check my regular podcast hours as always every Sunday night at 7pm so you can come back and see me then have a great night